We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, and yes, that is Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our telephone number, if you want to join our late-night national town hall forum, feel free to do so, 833-482-5337, the number four, Valdez. Now, we're going to jump into the Wednesday edition because uh, there's a few things out there that uh, are interesting. Uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of things that happened today. There was a uh, press conference in Capitol Hill with um, Representative Ralph Norman, who uh, participated in uh, pushing back against the World Health Organization, uh, gaining way more traction than they should ever have on U.S. health policy. Uh, we're we're going to get to that in a little bit. Uh, then later on, we're going to talk about what's going on with all of the crazy that's happening. You've got some state-sanctioned uh, sex offenders being uh, set loose. We're going to get to the bottom of that as well. Plus, uh, we've got some immigration legislation that might help if it were actually uh, implemented. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen, but it sounds like a nice idea. So we're going to discuss that as well. But I want to start with uh, with a story on the FBI. Uh, with the FBI paying a visit at the childhood home of a pro-life activist. Uh, this is something that came out today in the Daily Signal. Now, these two agents with the FBI visited the childhood home of a pro-life activist and told the woman's mother that they wanted to speak with her according to footage obtained by the Daily Signal. Elise Ketch is a member of the progressive anti-abortion uprising uh, a group of mostly left-leaning activists who believe that abortion is the murder of a human child. PAAU, particularly, that's the name of the group, Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, uh, particularly gained prominence after the group exposed the bodies of five preemie-sized aborted babies known as The Five from the clinic of Washington, D.C. abortionist uh, Cesar Santangelo. Now, the 26-year-old officially joined PAAU in December of 2022 after volunteering with the group for just a few months. Her entrance to the pro-life group came as PAAU activist Lauren Handy, Jonathan Darnell, Herb Garrity uh, faced charges from the Department of Justice for violating the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act 
which prohibits threats of force, obstruction, and property damage intended to interfere with reproductive health care services. That's a quote. The DOJ has commonly used obstruction in charging pro-life activists with blocking the entrance to an abortion clinic. Now, the uh, incidents that these activists were involved in all took place before they were members of PAAU. The group's founder, Teresa Bukanovic, told the Daily Signal that... Um, Catch does not believe that she has ever been involved in any kind of activity that would allow the authorities to bring a face act charge against her. Catch has participated in PAAU's Pink Rose Rescues, uh, wherein activists attempt to enter an abortion facility and quietly hand out pink roses to people in the waiting room, then leave upon being told that they are trespassing. The roses have information about pregnancy resource centers, such as the phone number uh, to let them live and that type of thing. So she's also participated in nonviolent demonstrations back like in uh, March of 2022, where she and other PAAU members were arrested for blocking the street outside the Rayburn House office building as they sought to draw attention to the five. Uh, Again, those five uh, aborted preemie sized babies. It had been a year since their discovery of the baby bodies in Washington, D.C., and authorities have thus far uh, stonewalled any investigations into those babies' deaths. So on April 18th, around 2.45 p.m., FBI agents went to the home of Tracy Ketch, Elise Ketch's mother, and ring camera footage provided to the Daily Signal shows two women standing on the front porch of her childhood home in Woodbridge, Virginia, and the women identified themselves as Ashley Roberts and Kathleen Brown. We're both with the FBI, Roberts told Ketch's mother. We just need to speak with her regarding some information that was sent to us. When Tracy Ketch uh, informed the agents that Ketch no longer lives at that residence, Roberts asked for her uh, residence and her phone number. Uh, Her mom said uh, she's not, oh, excuse me, Roberts reassured Mrs. Ketch that uh, she was not in any trouble with a smile. The footage shows we just have some information we need to ask her about. We would tell you all the information uh, like I said, but she's not in any trouble. So out of respect for her, we'd like to speak with her first. Robert says, adding with a shrug. And if she feels like talking to you, which I'm sure she will, uh, it's nothing. So that was the end of that conversation that we've got here. And this, they put this out on Twitter and it's in the, uh, in the article as well. Uh, but more ring camera footage uh, viewed by the Daily Signal shows Ketch's mother stepping into the front porch, calling her daughter, saying, I have two FBI agents at the front door. FBI agents. Ketch can be heard repeating as Robert breaks into a smile and she says, Mom, don't tell her anything. She says, okay, what do you want me to do? And she asks her daughter and Ketch says uh, uh, her mother waves the agents off the porch, opens the front door, and you could see the stress all over her face. The FBI did not immediately respond to requests for comment from the Daily Signal for this story. Uh, Elise Ketch told the Daily Signal that she has no idea what information the FBI was sent that would require her to talk to them, but she has a few guesses. And she says her colleagues uh, at Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, uh, in particular Lauren Handy, is indicted under the FACE Act and is being prosecuted by the federal government. She said, it's plausible that these FBI agents aim to collect information from me to help build their case against her. While they reassured my mother that I was not in trouble, it's also possible that they see me as a threat due to my pro-life activism, is a quote from her, and intended to investigate me. Ketch speculated, yet to my knowledge, they never attempted to follow up with me or my attorney, so I believe the FBI's true motive behind their visit to my mom's house was to intimidate me and my team. 
So the visit made her concerned for her family's safety, adding that she's going to refuse to back down despite visits from the FBI. Now, this comes on the heels of the bombshell reporting, right, that we, uh, not reporting, a report from John Durham that basically said the FBI had abandoned their fidelity to their mission and to the law, rather. And it's fascinating that this isn't the first time we've seen the federal government overstepping their bounds. They do it with just about anybody that they want. Lamentably, it really seems that we have a a group of individuals in Washington that are hell-bent on gaining power and will do anything they can and use whatever governmental power they have to get to you who's an adversary or a political critic. This is incredibly problematic. And we're going to continue that conversation straight ahead. Plus, I want to jump into the debt ceiling and a little bit on this, as well as uh, what happened today on Capitol Hill. Apparently, there was a big press conference where uh, a bunch of members of Congress got together and said, you know what, we are not going to take this lying down uh, with respect to the World Health Organization usurping the authority of the the American people vis-a-vis our government. So don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. I am Rich Valdez. Up next, Congressman Ralph Norman. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. And I think there's enough blame to go around with Republicans and Democrats. They all spent too much in the last 21 years. But you know what? There comes a moment in time when you hit the wall. We're now at a debt that we have as larger than an economy, more than 20 percent. We haven't seen this since World War II. And you can't continue down this trajectory if you want to continue to be the strongest nation in the world. You know, when you talk to the Defense Department, not this year, but years ago, they tell you the greatest threat to America is not Russia or China. It's the size of our debt. And this is a real concern. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy on CNBC today says that the greatest threat to America is not Russia or China. It's the size of our debt. I think he might be right. We're probably doing ourselves way more damage with spending than uh, than those either of those adversaries are doing to us. And to get to the bottom of that, as well as a little bit of uh, what's going on with the criminality that goes on in Washington, as well as the sovereignty of our, our health policy, is our guest, Representative Ralph Norman uh, from South Carolina. Congressman, welcome. Well, glad to be with, with you, Rich. Thank you, sir. I'm hearing an echo. I don't know if you're on a speakerphone, but if you could uh, maybe grab the handset, we'll all be able to hear you better. But just to remind the audience, the uh, congressman sits on the House Committee on Financial Services, the House Committee on Rules, and the House Committee on the Budget. Now, when you hear Kevin McCarthy say that this is the biggest threat facing Americans, um, I tend to think that's probably right. But what's your take? Oh, he's exactly right. He, um, you know, the press conference we had today, 
was one that was we had been urging him to have because you know we can the, the most serious threat we have is our economic security bar none and you know he you know went through what the challenges were in the past it's been just words though. nobody's ever done anything about it now <clears throat> we finally you know got some sanity and because of what happened on January 3rd, we're going to, I think, get some real reforms that we just have not had. Right. Now, what's the current situation? I mean, you're obviously you're, you're an inside man there. You can give us the inside track. What is happening with this negotiation? Is Biden just uh, cutting his trip short to come back to pay lip service? Do you think he's actually really going to negotiate? Are we actually going to have a deal or is this going to end up with uh, Biden forcing a default to try to frame the Republicans? I think all of the above. I mean, I think he will try to uh, posture and just what he's doing in the past. He's made his, you know, he's made his position known, clean debt ceiling, no cuts, not $1 of cuts. And we just said, we're not doing that. And, you know, I've been pretty firm as of the whole time. It's got to be in writing. It's got to be pretty much what we presented to them, which, to be honest with you, Rich, was modest. I mean, it was a start in the right direction, but we need to double down on it and have a lot more cuts. And as he delays the thought process on the 20 of us and others, or up to Annie, add more cuts um, and insists that, you know, meeting for, for Biden to meet is just optics. It's now time to put in writing and what he'll agree to and not, and then Kevin can come back and, and first of all, see what it is. He can present it to the House uh, and see what will pass. But I will tell you the sentiment is not to take anything less than what we presented to him, which is fair, and it's, uh, it makes sense. Now, the president seems to be out there and whenever he gets a chance or whenever any of his surrogates get a chance, I mean, it's obvious and it's expected, uh, but they continue to to have this little dog and pony show. Uh, today, Biden was at the White House. I have a clip of this, cut number two. And uh, he says he's very proud of the progress that we've made. It's a short clip, so I want you to hear this, Congressman. Listen to this. I'm proud of the progress my administration has made. We reduced the deficit in the first two years by $1.7 trillion in the first two years. And I propose the budget will reduce another $3 trillion over the next decade. That includes more revenue by asking the wealthy and large corporations to begin to pay, to pay their fair share and uh, cutting subsidies that exist in the law now to big oil and big pharma. So... You know, it's funny. He goes from platitudes to I'm going to say half truths to to then a, an attack on big oil and big pharma trying to scapegoat this. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, again, it's just words. I mean, you can't trust the man. I mean, look, look what he's done to the economy. I mean, look what he's done to the country since he's been they've had the power. Um, you know, he, he's again is going to, have to put it in writing. We've got some very substantial. Um, disagreements according to him when he started this you know his his banner back and forth um you know like the going with the 22 budget uh for the 24 budget like cutting the 87,000 IRS agents like you know cutting his um 
free tuition for everybody. I mean, it's pretty simple. And, you know, you go down the list, he keeps saying these things, but where where is it uh, of what he's going to propose? Because the last we heard was, again, clean debt ceiling, no cuts, we're holding them hostage, which just isn't the case. We're not taking from Social Security or Medicare. We're not cutting veterans. We are clawing back to COVID dollars, and that's where he's coming up with uh, the fallacy that we're cutting military because some of that money could be used for the military. But bottom line is uncommitted dollars. So uh, I won't believe anything as well as most of, I think, the members in the Freedom Caucus and in our 20 uh, until we see it in writing, and then we'll, we'll take a look at it. But anything... Anything that he says has no weight because um, it's just like the wind is here, then it's gone, then you don't know what you have. And most of us are business people. Uh, You put anything in writing and then you start negotiating. And if he will do that, we'll have something we can show the press. One of the things we really are trying to be is transparent. We were when we got the bill over there, and we'll be transparent on what he offers because – I think the preview of coming attractions is to delay as long as he can and then cast the blame on Republicans as shutting the government down, which we're not going to default. I think he will do like Biden did uh, in his presidency, which, you know, he closed some parks and he, he, the optics were the government was shut down. But, uh, the, you know, we're going to pay our debts and. Uh, our plan is one he's going to have to pretty well go by. I don't think Kevin can get the support of anything much less than what we that, that we sent to him. Right. And I, I think Biden realizes that that this is the only way moving forward, uh, because because of what we saw, like you said, on January 3rd, we've realized that uh, even if McCarthy wanted to fold, he can't because he wouldn't get the support from his conference. The only way he's going to do it is if he gets Democrats, um, and that would be with I knowing the Democrats as I do, they uh, they wouldn't give us air to breathe. I mean, their, their whole <laughs> uh, their, their old philosophy is tax and spend, and um, that's, uh, that's their it's their in their minds it's their money. It's not the public's money. We, we're protecting America. Yeah, and I think as Kevin said, uh, every child that's born in America has got a, a debt tied to that birth of right at $95,000. That's, that's unacceptable and it's un- unsustainable. And we're just not going to go along with it. And it's one of the things we cut when uh, he agreed to, we agreed to vote for him is a 10-year balanced budget and severe cuts, not 20 years, not 10 years, cuts now. And that's what we're going to insist on. All right, folks, uh, we're on with Congressman Ralph Norman from South Carolina. He's with us uh, for a little bit longer. We're going to talk about the World Health Organization and how they're encroaching on our sovereignty when it comes to health policy. Uh, There was a press conference about that today, and we're going to get to the bottom of that. So don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. It's America at Night. Our guest, Congressman Ralph Norman. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And we're talking about the sovereignty of Americans' health policy. <clears throat> and let me tell you, this is a pretty uh, serious thing. The World Health Organization, the WHO, is a supranational United Nations agency that's effectively controlled by the Chinese Communist Party, as evidenced, among other things, by the manner in which the WHO's director, uh, Director General, Dr. Tedros Gebrasis, has relentlessly accomplished Beijing's bidding. That includes advancing the CCP's interest in bringing about a post-constitutional America, a global governance dominated by the party. The CCP's hegemonic ambitions have no place for a powerful United States of America, human freedom, or personal sovereignty. And today, the Sovereignty uh, Coalition had a press conference with none other than Congressman Ralph Norman, who's with us now. Congressman, tell us uh, what went down today at this press conference. Well, first of all, the WHO has had a... uh, a, a history that is not in keeping with the best interests of the United States. I've started getting calls from constituents all over South Carolina and really all over the country. What are we going to do about the Biden administration, which the uh, meeting in Switzerland where the World Health Assembly gets together is May 21st through May 30th. And these uh, callers were very concerned that the Biden administration was going to sell out the sovereignty of this country, meaning that uh, uh, Dr. Tetros could, who's in bed with China, could, uh, would have complete authority to declare the next pandemic. They would have complete authority to keep secret as they did the COVID vaccine, which killed over a million people. Uh, and they, you know, it's a $2 billion budget. Uh, and it's just a rogue organization controlled by uh, the CCP. So what we did was team up with Frank Gaffney, who's written uh, a lot of books on this. The latest one was The Indictment, which spells out what the CCP through the WHO is doing to America. And the purpose of the meeting, uh, of the press conference today, was to alert America to of what's going on. We had 18 congressmen who spoke on different areas of what the was doing, but uh, it's to call attention. And then my letter, which 
uh, we sent on May 10th to McCarthy was to cut the $700 million, uh, which is what America's uh, payment is to the WHO. Trump did away with it, ended it, and calling for him to cut that out. And then uh, this would be another cut that the we would add to the plan we had already submitted to the Senate for Biden to agree to cut. So it was more of a uh, call to arms. It, this isn't the first uh, thing we're going to do. We're going to have a special order in the House, if not next week, the week we get back. It's serious, um, uh, a serious threat to this country. It means Tetris could you know, declare another pandemic. And they just cede the sovereignty to, um, to China, basically. And as Nikki Haley told me today, uh, it's a completely rogue organization controlled by China. And why are we doing this? But the Biden administration is intent uh, on uh, doing behind-the-scenes uh, dealings from what we hear. And we, we're just going to expose it. And hopefully the American people will wake up and write their local congressmen and their local senators and tell them get out of the organization and put some spotlight on the administration. Now, Congressman Ralph Norman, this is very big stuff. Number one, yes, great stuff from Frank Gaffney. We actually had him on the show a few days ago, uh, and he was talking about his book, The Indictment. And um, and this is yet one more uh, indictment, if you will, of the Biden administration, where they seem to be doing the bidding of China instead of doing what's in the best interest of the United States. Now, what's interesting here is that typically any type of deal like this uh, it, from my understanding, and as rudimentary as it is, I'll, I'll defer to you because um, you're a member of Congress. But doesn't Congress, in particular the Senate, have to have some involvement in any type of treaty like this being ratified? You know, it hasn't. Uh, for some reason, it has not. Uh, that's not in effect for what he's getting ready to do, from what I understand. In other words, he could bypass the House and the Senate. And each each nation has one vote, equal votes. And it's just there's only 13 countries now that um, don't support the WHO, uh, from what I understand. But, no, he can unilaterally, unilaterally do this, which is a, a tremendous danger to America. And uh, I know how hard it is to get any information uh, from uh, Tetris and or really any of the uh, Chinese, the the uh, their, the groups that uh, said they were opening up the uh, lab and going to tell America what happened to the uh, how the virus was spread, and they're just not doing it. We can't even get the FDA to tell us what's in the vaccine. Uh, and right, the um, you know it's a serious serious problem. And I, we Frank Gaffney, which again has done a tremendous job, was there today. Uh, and briefly, when it's a, um, uh, we just if if the the best thing that could happen is uh, on this May twenty first through thirtieth date that they're meeting that either he doesn't sell us down the river or he gets so exposed. And I don't know that the press, mainstream press, will put covered. We had every news station at the Capitol today whether they will be spread uh, what. And, and put out on the mainstream media what was said today, which is pretty damaging. We we had a uh, a group that tried to disrupt it. We had to haul off, and a lot of it couldn't be heard. Oh, but, wow. 
uh, it's a, um, a tremendous. Uh, it's it's. I've gotten to plan when we left the um, the press conference. I got the whole plan that supposedly was in draft form that I hadn't read, but just from, from going through it, it's pretty damaging and it's pretty. Uh, you know, it's it's something America doesn't need now, and it is par for the course for the administration because I mean these. Your listeners know we haven't found out the, uh, anything about the virus. <clears throat> There's been no responsibility of, of China or any other country that took part in it. And yet we got a million a million uh, people dead and businesses shut down. People <clears throat> trend a, a tremendous financial burden to this country. But uh, we're going to keep on it, and hopefully our special order will be broadcast next week on the House floor, and we'll keep fighting until we can expose it. Outstanding. I just want to remind our listeners that uh, we're on with Congressman Ralph Norman from South Carolina, who uh, led a press conference today with the Sovereignty Coalition and uh, with many other um, members of Congress, as well as, uh, as he mentioned, Frank Gaffney from the Center for Security Policy, Reggie Littlejohn of Women's Rights Without Frontiers, Brigitte Gabriel of Act for America, and others that joined them to uh, put forward this message saying, you know, hands off our health policy and uh, hashtag exit the WHO. And I've got a clip from uh, from the press conference that we're going to play for you as soon as we come back. Don't move a muscle. And of course, you're welcome to uh, join the conversation with your phone calls. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our guest is uh, Congressman Ralph Norman from South Carolina's 5th District, and we've got a call from all the way on the East Coast in Galloway, New Jersey, W-O-N-D. Lance, you're on with Congressman Norman and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, gracious good evening. Congressman Norman, I, I kudos to you and your your group, and because uh, something has to be done because if over 70% of all our pharmaceuticals are already produced over in China, and they are the uh, hand puppet in the WHO, if Biden goes over and relinquishes our overall power as a sovereign nation to actually control our what we want to put in our body or do, we're lost. We'll never be able to retain that back, no matter how small and strong a force of the voice is. And that's another thing. The media, just as the, uh, China can and the CCP will suffocate the media over there, what do you think they will do with with the WHO? I just think it's uh, lecherous and it's like bloodletting and they're using leeches and all any way they can because we only have 350 million people and they got 1.4 billion. You do the ratio and, and that's where it's at. Thank you, Lance. Congressman? Well, he's exactly right. And what what, what they will do uh, for your listeners is if this treaty, if Biden does this, has this treaty, they will have uh, the method to track the health of everyone who's part of the WHO. They will issue a universal digital passport. Um, they have already distributed uh, pornographic things to our children to infiltrate our schools. They're tearing our families apart. 
I mean, look what they did uh, with the Ebola outbreak in West Africa. Nothing. Look what they've done with COVID. Nothing. If there's an right. agency that, you know, we invested $700 million about in, into the agency, and what did they do? Cover it up. We don't have any answers on the COVID virus, yet it killed a million people. So I can't stress the importance of it. And it's a um, the press simply has not reported. It's been out as far as the concerns, I guess, uh, with Frank and others. And now uh, we had over 25 congressmen there, 18 spoke. And we've got to have all 222 Republicans uh, to, and hopefully some Democrats, but to spread the message because we've got to put some, the pressure on this administration that we're watching and we're not putting up with it. It's time to fight. And it, it's a, uh, it's, it's sad that we have to do this, but it's like everything else this administration's done. Taking the tariffs, as an example, off the solar panels from China, how does that make sense? Right. Um, but it's a, uh, it's a huge concern of mine and others, and uh, I don't know how you walk it back if, if he does it. Uh, and, like, if they get complete control of the health records and all the other uh, control uh, things that they want to put in place, I don't know how you walk that back, but the, t- the time is to stop it now to expose it, and then hopefully we'll um, make a difference and stop it. Now, Congressman, I know that this isn't the only thing that they're trying to to, to walk back or, or perhaps not walk back, but they also have taken a, a very soft approach on anything that's involved with the CCP, uh, like any of Hunter Biden's involvement, James Biden's involvement, even former uh, Vice President Biden's involvement. Uh, I know today uh, one of your colleagues, uh, Chairman Jason Smith, Ways and Means, um, they're trying to find out why was it that the the IRS investigators were pulled off of the Hunter Biden probe. Do you know anything as to why? No, uh, other than to say the FBI has been compromised. I mean, look what they did during the whole Durham report. I mean, that's, an, that's a damning report. Uh, of the FBI that was complicit in the whole, uh, it shouldn't have ever gotten to this point to have a five-year investigation. They say four, but it's really like five. Uh, putting Christopher Ray and Peter Strzok in charge of uh, fabricating something on the president uh, with, with Russia is, is a complete lie. And what they're doing with Hunter Biden, there is no curiosity on the media's part to look at documents uh, that are in writing. I mean, the uh, suspicious activity reports that the, the Treasury issued on Hunter Biden, that's in writing. The laptop, it's, it's, it's in, basically in print, and they just have no interest in it. And, uh, you know, in the same way with, with the WHO and Tetris, he's a first-class criminal, and they just let him, let him go with it. And Biden is completely sold out. I mean, he's selling our, our, our uh, uh, natural gas and oil. He's selling everything to China. And it just goes to show the American people are going to have to rise up. We can't, 435 members can't do it all. Uh, the 100 members of Congress can't. It's going to take the American people rising up and saying, uh, we're just not accepting it at every level because it's breakneck speed. I can't think of all the things coming our way that we're having to deal with, you know, from the immigration to uh, the economy to uh, you know, everything he's doing to bankrupt this country, and he's going to try to do it with spending, and thank God he's not going to get by with that, at least this time. Uh, but it's a, uh, it's a daunting task, I'll be honest with you. 
Oh, without a doubt. We're watching and we're uh, we're we're waiting in the wings and uh, we're cheering you on, Congressman, for doing a yeoman's task because it's it's not an easy job. And I want to thank you, A, for doing the work you're doing and B, uh, for being on the show tonight. I know it's late and uh, here on the East Coast and I appreciate you coming on board, folks. Congressman Ralph Norman, check him out at repralphnorman.com. Congressman, thank you, sir. My pleasure. Thank you for what you're doing, Rich. Thank yes, sir. Godspeed. Hope to do it again soon. Folks, we're going to get to your calls and everything else straight ahead. The number 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. Uh, we're getting to your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Jenny, our friend Jenny in Paris, Tennessee, listening on WCMT out of Martin. Go right ahead, Jenny. Thank you. I was hoping to ask uh, Mr. Norman uh, a very important question. Uh, I'll go ahead and ask that, you know, to you. I know sure. you're on the radio, and I know that you have uh, to have a signed agreement you know, following some kind of uh, rules and uh, regulations. And, mm -hmm. you know, the FCC has been so derelict in their duty because the news networks are using their, uh, uh, whatever they have, a certificate or whatever they have from the FCC to be on the airways, they're just using it as a propaganda machine for a socialist agenda, which is totally un-American. We are not socialist. And uh, the Federal Communication Commission made them sign to agree with rules and regulatory, you know, rules that they have to follow. And when you read those rules, and I mean it's a book full, it's a book full. When you read those rules, they're breaking every rule under the sun. For one thing, they cannot do anything that will harm the American people. Tell me this is not harming when everything is propaganda and we don't hear any truth and we don't hear anything except the agenda that this administration wants them to put forth. They're well, the ones Jenny. that took Trump down. Yeah, listen, I, I hear the frustration in your voice, and uh, I agree with you. I think that um, whether whether you're in the media as a reporter, as a commentator, as an opinion person, uh, whatever it is, you, there there's obviously you're right with the FCC stuff. Yeah, you, you have to sign all sorts of things. And if we uh, if there's certain language that we use that isn't uh, considered appropriate to the FCC, there's fines that are involved. Uh, but larger than any of the FCC rules, because, again, they just govern the, the, the governmental aspect of regulation. Our rights, right, given by God, our right to, to, to share the truth and speak our minds, um, are protected. Those God-given rights are protected in the Constitution and under the First Amendment. And, and this is the double-edged sword that we have, right? In order for us to be able to say our truth and to, to, to have that liberty, um, 
you run the risk of having people out there misinforming and propagandizing. And the the remedy to that, in my opinion, <clears throat> is that freedom, right? The fact that when Biden says something that I think is uh, untoward or untrue, I can say, hey, you know what? I think Joe El Baboso Biden is bumbling and stumbling. I think, you know, he, he's full of it and he's he's not telling the truth, et cetera, et cetera. And it, that's the the beauty of it, in my opinion. So I don't know that we need the government to police uh, the, the media, per se, because ultimately they'll just claim First Amendment and we're never going to take away their First Amendment, right? Because that's what they would love to do to us. So I think this is where it becomes our job to, to kind of vote with dollars, right? And we can see that CNN is, is really doing poorly because fewer and fewer people are watching. Anyway, Jenny, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Uh, more to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. America starts the day with America in the morning. Pending home sales numbers, they tanked in April, but there Hi, are Hi, I'm John Trout, your host for the latest news, politics, entertainment, business, and weather. The octane action in the dust, a new film puts... Our staff of correspondents provide a fast-paced look at the world with specialized reports from where news happens. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Amazon. Concise, accurate, and fresh each day. America in the Morning, the podcast, available wherever you listen. Are you into weird, spooky, and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and our telephone number, if you want to join our late-night National Town Hall Forum, feel free to do so, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Also, you can always uh, chime in online. I check the comments. Sometimes I'll even write back, and uh, if it's very snide, the more snide, the better, right? <laughs> All of the haters out there. But... Um, Welcome to the program, hour number two. Happy to be here and happy to uh, to be in conversation with you all. And the church that was associated with the Covenant School has filed a motion to block the release of the Trans Shooters Manifesto. Now, that's not something we'll dig into now, but we will be digging into that at the top of the next hour. We also have a number of stories that are going on right now. Uh, there are some state-sanctioned sexual predators that are being released uh, into unsecured housing and near school bus stops and all sorts of crazy that's going on. You also have uh, 
uh, fentanyl crisis that's happening all over the country, in particular um, in Seattle. We're not done with Seattle yet. Uh, It seems like Seattle goes from one crazy mayor to the next crazy mayor. (laughs) And the attack on gas stoves is still alive and well. Uh, Now Joe Manchin is abruptly uh, tanking a nominee by uh, the Biden administration who was picked to oversee the crackdown on gas stoves. So I guess kudos to Joe Manchin on that one. But I want to start with this this story because this is, uh, I think, troubling to many on how, you know, people thinking that, you know, their children, you entrust your children to what you think is the school, you think it's safe, you think the school bus is safe, and the next thing you know, not so fast, right? I'm looking at an article on My Northwest, uh, MyNorthwest.com, written by Jason Rance. Now, Jason Rance is not only just a, a prolific writer, but he's also an amazing talker out of Seattle. You can hear him on 770 AM, 770 KTTH. Now, I love those letters um, because I also started on an AM 770 in New York, WABC. And Jason Rance is with us to break down this article. Jason Rance, welcome. Thanks for having me. You bet, brother. So let's uh, let's dig into this one because uh, this is interesting. The state's releasing sex predators to unsecured housing near a school bus stop. Yeah, it's it's Washington State where we are irredeemably blue. So what we found out just a few months ago was, yeah, no kidding, was just that. So Democrats decided to do something called least restrictive housing, specifically for sex offenders, where they've already done their time in jail rather than keep them at a facility that is like a jail. They want to release them back into the community. And so they've been looking for various locations all around the state to house them. Two recent cases involve locations right near where kids are. One where kids get together um, lakeside for summer festivities just a few blocks away from a school bus stop. There's another community that's dealing with the exact same thing. And so there was a significant amount of pushback, as you can imagine, from Mm -hmm. folks in the community who obviously know that this is not safe. They were able to stop one of the locations. They were not able to stop the other. But in the state legislative session, this last session, we're a part-time legislature. The Republicans were able to get Democrats to agree to a pretty simple budgetary proviso, which simply said, look, if you're going to put these units or looking to put these facilities in communities, first, the state has to do some outreach just to tell the community that, hey, we're thinking about doing this so you can get their feedback. Because a big part of the issue was they were sneaking these folks in. They didn't want anyone to know about it. So they passed that bill. And just about two hours ago, the governor vetoed that particular aspect of the bill, claiming that it is uh, too burdensome to tell people where sex offenders are going to be housed. And, uh, you know, I just want people to think about that for a moment. The governor, Jay Inslee, is telling the public it is a burden to communicate to them that they're putting in sex offender housing. And it's not even just your, your average sex offender. We are talking about, in this case, sexually violent predators. These are level three. These are the worst of the worst who are almost guaranteed to recommit. And we're now being told that sex offenders are deserving of more protections than your average citizen. That's disturbing. 
Well, this is crazy town, Jason Rance. And I, I just, uh, you know, I, when I see these headlines from Portland, from New York, from, from Seattle, um, San Francisco, sometimes you think it's the onion, you think it's Babylon B, and lamentably, it's real life. So wh- where do we go from here? What's the next step? The next step is to be reminded of this the next time you get to vote. I mean, at the end of the day, especially for some of these cities like uh, a Seattle, a Portland, a New York, Chicago, L.A., these are politicians that have been put in place to do what it is they're doing. And sometimes folks just like instinctively vote for the Democrat. They don't do any research whatsoever, and they have a a reluctance to speak up. We've certainly seen that in the Pacific Northwest where Democrats have just not wanted to call out their own because they're terrified that they'll be labeled, uh, you know, whatever, a bigot, uh, a xenophobe, someone who lacks compassion towards the homeless or to, you know, whatever the marginalized community of the day is that they're pretending to care about. And what ends up happening is people just don't say anything. Politicians continue to go down this path, and before you know it, we're just so far gone that you don't think that we can reverse course. But what we've seen in Seattle and Portland recently, more and more folks are speaking up and saying, no, we're not okay with this. We're not okay with releasing sex offenders. We're not okay with letting criminals do whatever it is they want to do. And once people experience a crime personally or they know someone who does – all of a sudden, they start to finally shift their way of thinking that this is not acceptable. And they say that they're going to get a little bit more involved. They say they're going to pay attention. It's just a matter of keeping that momentum going in areas where it's just very, very difficult for a Republican to win and very few moderate Democrats step up and run. Because to them, it's not really worth going through the hassle of getting attacked nonstop, sometimes physically, because you happen to not be a fringe extremist. But what is a fringe extremist to someone who's listening outside of Seattle and Portland? Uh, it's a normal progressive here. And that's the problem. <laughs> Crazy times, Jason Rance. Well, uh, my, my hope would be that, that the opposition to this stuff continues to grow and that, you know, your, your um, yeah. commentary on this stuff and will ignite more people to, to get into the mix on it because this is uh you know, I think there's there's things that are like, all right, that's kind of crazy, but it's typical lefty politics. And then there's things like this that are really endangering a community, endangering children, that it just seems unsafe and, and just senseless, pointless, in my opinion. But let me ri- remind the audience um, that we're on with you. Jason Rantz, uh, he's a talker on our affiliate in Seattle, KTTH. Make sure you check him out. And um, you can also catch his, uh, his writings on MyNorthwest.com. Now, Jason Rant, stick with us. We're going to come right back to you. Uh, we're going to talk about fentanyl and any other thoughts you had on this topic. And if, if anybody wants to uh, chat with Jason Rant, you're welcome to call 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-4. 5337 That's Valdez with an S. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. Our guest is Jason Rance. Now, you guys know Jason Rance. He's a, a staple on the Tucker Carlson Show. Uh, he's also a talker out of Seattle on our affiliate there, KTTH AM 770. And uh, you can catch his writing on MyNorthwest.com. Jason Rance, I want to welcome you back, and I want to get into uh, a little bit of a different topic here. Uh, and if you had any final thoughts on, on that topic, I'm happy to hear that. But I, I wanted to get into this story that I saw coming out of Seattle. And again, Seattle's always uh, reliable, and you can always count on Seattle for some crazy news. And this one is about the data and uh, the fentanyl crisis. And I, I've just heard there's a lot of issues with young people hooked on drugs, and I was hoping you could shed some light on that. Yeah, so you know we have, like so many other uh, Democrat-led cities, a massive drug crisis, and we just got updated numbers. It's funny. This morning, a local uh, television station noted that we're at 524 fentanyl or, or opioid overdoses so far this year, which puts us on pace to exceed last year's 1,000 record high of wow. fatal overdose death. But they pointed out that we're now higher than where we were in 2020. Here's the sad part. Since this morning, that number has grown to 530. So just in the last several hours, we've already seen more. And what we're seeing is on the streets of Seattle and the greater King County area, just a flood of drugs in large part coming here through our open border. And it's coming into this area because we've effectively decriminalized drugs. We just went through a massive debate at the state legislative level to make drug possession criminal. There were Democrats who stalled on a bill and they effectively said no, which meant July 1st, we were going to have zero drug possession laws on the books. And finally, there was a deal that was made. They passed it yesterday. But the problem is it still goes really, really light on drug users who are criminals. No one wants to throw an addict in jail. Like we would prefer to put them into drug rehab services, get them the services that they need so they can be clean. Because I think we have a moral responsibility to do that. But the fact of the matter is there are a lot of people who are just refusing to say yes to the offers of assistance and instead continue to break the law, continue to openly smoke fentanyl in downtown Seattle, in our parks, in businesses, on buses. And they do need to go to jail or at least have the threat of jail to push them into services. And there's just this reluctance in the city of Seattle to accept that. They take a position that putting someone in jail who's an addict is, number one, quote-unquote, criminalizing addiction, which is a stupid line. It's criminalizing criminal behavior. But right. they say that it creates it creates stigma towards the drug user, and if you stigmatize them, they're unwilling to get help. But it's like, guys, they're unwilling to get help right now. And you want to pretend that it, there's no stigma attached to being an addict right now who's on the streets smoking fentanyl. Sorry, there already is, and there should be. Guess what? We should not be looking at someone who's an addict and saying, oh, we shouldn't stigmatize the behavior that is ultimately going to kill them. No, we should absolutely stigmatize the hell out of it and get them the help that they need. At the end of the day, I don't care if they feel stigma. I don't care if they're angry in the moment that we're trying to save them. They're going to be saved, and I'm willing to bet they're going to turn to us and say, you know what? It felt pretty crummy at the time. I'm glad you stigmatized me. I'm glad you saved my life. Preach on, brother. Let me tell you something. I, I've often said I've never met a crackhead that said, oh, yeah, I would definitely recommend crack. 
Matter of fact, every time I've spoken with somebody in addiction, you know, if I've had a conversation with somebody who's asking me for money, they've always said, don't get involved. Don't ever try it. You know, they've always had a, a, a cautionary tale. And you're right, because they themselves see the stigma. They realize this is not cool. And it, it just amazes me that um, we put more focus on the stigma than we do on anything else, like the actual um, lethality of it. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that you said that because I think too few people have the courage that you just displayed to say things that make sense, <laughs> to say, you know what, <laughs> screw no, your kidding. stigma. I'm surrounded Let's by do those the right people. thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm surrounded by those people. And part of the, the issue is it, it's clearly tied, especially here, but it, again, in a lot of places, it's tied to the homelessness crisis. And you've got a lot of people who are in positions of power who do not believe in doing anything beyond giving people a free house. They tell you that housing is a human right, which, again, is a bumper sticker slogan that doesn't actually mean anything. But they don't think you should have to change the behaviors of the people who are living outside, who are smoking fentanyl, doing crack, whatever it is. We should just give them a home. And when they're ready to ask for help, when they're ready for the services, we'll be there. But that's not how it works. They're homeless because they're addicts. They're not addicts because they're homeless. These people right. were not born homeless. They became homeless. And unless you're willing to go after the underlying causes, be it drug addiction or mental health issues that have gone untreated, unless you go after those issues, you're never going to solve the problem. Yeah. Now, folks, we're on with Jason Rantz. Now, Jason Rantz, um, uh, earlier I introduced you as a staple on Tucker Carlson's program. And um, I, I should have asked you at that point, <laughs> what do you think is going on here with, with Tucker? I feel like they're trying to push him out, just to switch gears a little bit because I'm really curious. The, uh, I feel like they're trying to push him out and make sure he has zero say in the upcoming election because they feel that he's become, uh, you know, a movement in and of himself. What say you? I mean, I, I'm not entirely sure who they is. I, I would say that they're certainly Fox Democrats News. don't want him. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't think Fox News is trying to get him uh, to not say anything ahead of the election. Obviously, I don't know. I don't have any inside scoop as to what he's yeah. doing. He's obviously made the announcement that he's going to return in, in some form to doing a, a version of his show, whether or not it's truly going to be sort of like a Twitter distributed show. I, I doubt, I imagine he's going to do it on his own website. I think that's the, the smartest move to, to make. Sure. Uh, well, obviously we'll see. I mean, all of this I'm presuming is, is tied to his contract. Right. <laughs> that's going to be between, you know, his lawyers and Fox news and uh, Tucker is the goat. I, I every, the only reason people know who I am outside of Washington state is because of Tucker and his producers and, it was, you know, I was on his show last year more than any other guest. It was one of those things where every single time I did it, it felt surreal. And I owe so much to Tucker and I, I hope he'll come back soon. I know he will come back and I can't wait to see what he has in store for all of us. Yeah. Jason Rantz, you're a rock star. And not just because of Tucker. I think you did an outstanding job and you do an outstanding job every day on our great affiliate KTTH AM 770 in Seattle. Uh, I want to thank you for your insight and for um, staying up. Well, it's not too late for you because you're on the West Coast, uh, but thanks for staying up late either way. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks, brother. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to get into a bunch of of issues, um, not the least of which is going to be what's going on at the border. There's some craziness at the border. 
and uh, James Massa from Numbers USA. He's going to join us in a little bit to talk about new legislation that might offer a little bit of help uh, with uh, with the crisis that we have. And man, I, I don't know if legislation is going to help. I think we need an entire army to come in and save the day. Uh, but that remains to be seen. So we're going to get into that. Plus, we've got Open Phone America. That is going to be starting at the top of the, the hour. Make sure you uh, join that if you're interested in sounding off and letting your voice be heard. And as always, I want to remind you, if there's any portion of this program that you've missed, any of the interviews uh, that you, you uh, in particular want to share with somebody, you can always go to richvaldezamericaatnight.com. richvaldezamericaatnight.com has got everything you need there. You can sign up for the podcast. You can sign up for the newsletter. You can send a note to me and tell me how much you love the bumper music or the loud voice that goes with it. Whatever you want to do, you can do it there. And you can also... Uh, listen to any episode you like because they're all archived there so check it out rich valdez america at night anyway uh like i said we're coming back with james massa president of numbers usa and we're talking immigration don't go anywhere it's rich valdez america at night immigration system is so broken that you've got governors taking action into their own hands. State governments, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis recently signed a new law that targets his state's undocumented population by making it a felony to shelter, hire, or transport undocumented immigrants. It requires hospitals to ask for, uh, their patients for uh, about their immigration status. What's your reaction to this? Is that even constitutional? Um, so I will defer to the Department of Justice on the lawfulness of that type of action, but I will say this. It is a sad and it is tragic when government officials, people in positions of authority to do the right thing for our country, actually use human beings as pawns to score political points. That's uh, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas and uh, disagreeing with uh, the rights of governors to protect their states. Now, uh, it's interesting because as we see more and more governors enacting, uh, you know, signing into a law more and more legislation, it, it, it only it only lends itself to thinking, do we need more legislation? How do we fix this broken system? Well, there's new immigration legislation offering hope for our beleaguered nation. And that's the uh, headline on a piece by James Massa uh, from numbers usa and he's with us to explain his op-ed and a little bit about this legislation james massa welcome to the program hey glad to be here so let's jump right in um walk us through your piece in the washington examiner well the piece in the washington examiner explained how the hr2 bill that went through the house of representatives was really an excellent piece of legislation that closes a lot of loopholes and allows the nationalization immigration law of the United States, which is all included in something called Title VIII, 
to just be more effective and to actually make the border secure. So I, I can walk you through a whole bunch of different pieces of it, but I'd let you go ahead and guide me with what questions you'd have. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I'm looking at the piece and I, I think it's pretty uh, interesting. I think what, what comes to mind first is we have HR2, which um, seems like a comprehensive type of legislation, um, and you have Title Eight that's come into effect. Uh, I guess principally what I think most listeners want to know is how does Title Eight differ drastically from Title 42? Well, you know, it's actually a, a misunderstanding, I think, that most people have. Title 42 is the part of the United States Code that has to do with public health. Mm-hmm. And it was utilized during the pandemic by the Trump administration and also now by the Biden administration to expedite the removal of people who are coming in the United States who might be transmitting contagious disease. And that's the function of Title 42. It's still in effect today. It still exists today. But what has happened is, is that it was being used in a manner to be able to target only those who were pe- people seeking asylum. And the Supreme Court said, well, you can't do that. I mean, the, the nation's supposed to be able to protect itself from the transmission of communicable disease, but you can't do it for just a very limited number of people in that kind of ambiguous and capricious way. So that's why it was struck down and why it's no longer going to be used. But that's not where the immigration and naturalization law exists in the United States. It exists in Title VIII, and it's always existed in Title VIII. So Title VIII existed at the same time as Title 42. It existed yesterday, it exists today, and it will exist tomorrow. What H.R. 2 does is just makes it stronger. Title VIII is where all the asylum law and all the immigration law exists. Right. No, I think that's a given. I, I think um, the what I'm saying is, there were certain protections and certain enhancements that we had under the public health portion of, of Title 42 that are no longer there. And henceforth, now we have this flood of people at the border that we're seeing, you know, inundating the streets of El Paso, Texas. So what are the areas of Title Eight that we could strengthen in order to keep our country safer? Well, the primary area has to do with asylum reform. Uh, asylum is granted to people who are in the United States and asked to be protected from some type of persecution based on race, religion, nationality, and, and political opinion from wherever they originate. So, and Title VIII exists today. What it says is that the United States must detain those people who are applying for asylum or return them to their country of origin or return them to a contiguous country. That's what Title VIII says today. And and it can still be used to be able to rapidly deport people from the United States while their case is being considered. What's happening today is an abuse of that asylum system where people are coming in the United States, they're claiming asylum, and then they're being allowed to stay in the United States and actually work in the United States for years while their case is being decided. That's that's the abuse of the asylum law going on now. What H.R. 2 does to help tighten that up it gives the states the ability to actually sue the government to say you can't do that if you're not taking uh, doing the law as it's supposed to be executed today. If you're not filling the, the detention centers, if you're not prosecuting the law that's already on the books. Then it also limits the asylum to those people who only arrive at the ports of entry. So if you come across the border illegally somewhere in the middle of the border and you haven't shown up at a port of entry, then you no longer can apply for asylum as well. So there's a few things that go on along those lines 
that are that are really would help strengthen the asylum laws. Now, what would it take uh, to get Democrat support? And uh, it seems it seems like something that would uh, would benefit the entire nation. But it seems to me that that's not always um, preferential to to the Democrats. They tend to poo poo those things. How would we get support for something like that? We know there are uh, Democrats who are very supportive of this. I mean, I'll give you an example. There's uh, Representative uh, Henry Cuellar, who is a a strong border uh, security uh, representative out of the state of Texas. And, you know, he he would be very supportive of various aspects of this law uh, and has campaigned heavily on the fact that the border security needs to occur uh, and be more strongly enforced. What's missing today really isn't new law. All of H.R. 2 is great law. It enhances the Title VIII. What's missing is the will of this administration to actually enforce the law. That's where you have Secretary Mayorkas simply not doing what the law says. And, you know, he has sworn to uphold the law of the United States, as is the President of the United States, and it's not being done today. So it's really a matter of will. Are you going to implement the law that's on the books or are you not? So in, in your estimation... What do you think we could do to get Democrat support from the executive branch? What do you think we could do to get Democrat support to the executive branch? I I think what we could do is to, if we were looking to be able to have more Democrats sign on to HR2, I think that one of the things that could be done is to be able to engage them in the debate of things. Right now, I think what's occurred is like has occurred in the past, you have one political party trying to push through what it is that they believe is best for the nation. And the conversation is not occurring with the other side of the aisle. I think that's going to occur in the Senate as this bill now goes to the Senate. Now, in the Senate, you don't have uh, 60 votes that are going to be able to pass this very quickly. You're going to have to have Democrats come on. And so I think there's going to have to be discussion. And there may be trade-offs that occur. The the great negotiation of the American people is to be able to say this is what we want and then have the other side indicate what they're looking for and come up with a compromise. That that conversation hasn't happened yet in the House, and it should happen in the Senate. Now, you mentioned Henry Cuellar before. I think he's a unicorn amongst Democrats. Do you think there's anybody uh, comparable that would lead this effort um, like him or a coalition of Democrats, uh, Cuellar-like Democrats, if you will, in the Senate? You know, we're, we're not certain that that's the case. There's, there have been several that have, have uh, 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 indicated interest in doing something to be able to have stronger uh, border security, but it's not clear that they're going to come forward. Uh, part of what is being explored right now behind the scenes is exactly that, is who is going to be able to step up and put what the American people need in front of their own political party's interests. Right now, 70% of the people in the United States already clearly understand that the system is broken and we need to do something different. And, and they're asking for their, their representatives to step up and actually do something. So we're, we're hoping that the Democrats in the Senate will step forward. We don't have identified who that would actually be. All right. And folks, we're on with James Massa. He's the CEO of Numbers USA discussing a a recent piece of his in the Washington Examiner. And I've got a follow up question. um, Well, actually, uh, uh, an initial question into how the folks 
south of the border actually view our systems and the risks that they're willing to take by sending their children here unaccompanied. So uh, I would like to get your take on that and get some numbers around that uh, when we come back. Plus, uh, your calls are welcomed. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. My staff will tell you, if it was under 1,000 apprehensions the day before, that was a relatively good number. And if it was above 1,000, it was a relatively bad number, and I was going to be in a bad mood the whole day. On Tuesday, there were 4,000 apprehensions. I know that 1,000 overwhelms the system. I cannot begin to imagine what 4,000 a day looks like. So we are truly in a crisis. So that is a a file clip from... Former Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, citing these numbers and uh, the numbers have since exploded. And, uh, you know, oftentimes on this program, I talk about how I go to this Cuban restaurant to get some coffee. And uh, today when I was there, the proprietor of the restaurant tells me, uh, you know, they're doing a roofing job next door. And I said, yeah, I just noticed there's a bunch of guys up there working. He saw one of the kids up there was a, a teenager and he fell off and they were afraid to call an ambulance because he was really injured because he um, was in the country illegally. And um, in in the piece that we're reading right here, um, it, it alludes to how children are getting here. And again, the piece, I just want to reiterate, it's in the Washington Examiner. New immigration legislation offers hope for a beleaguered nation. It's by James Massa, president of Numbers USA. And James Massa, I, I was hoping you could kind of walk us through the, the section where you talk about how families view uh, this immigration process and what ends up happening to people that end up in illegal labor, uh, the sex trade, et cetera. Yes, it's a terrible part of the consequence of the current laws. What, what has happened is, is that the law has said that the U.S. cannot detain a minor. And, 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 and in truth, the detention centers that were set up were set up for single males who were coming across the border years ago. They weren't made for families. They weren't made for children. And so there was an attempt to say, hey, if you're going to detain children or families, you need to make sure that the centers are properly set up for that. So that's, that's really what the new law had been put in place to try to address. The unintended consequence was that people said, oh, if you can't detain children and you can't detain family units that show up with children, that I'm going to send my children to the United States by themselves, unaccompanied. We call them unaccompanied children. Or we're going to show up with children as a, as a quote, family unit, whether it's actually the family or whether it's illegal smugglers who are bringing them in. So there was an enormous spike in the number of unaccompanied children that occurred. It was well under 10,000 at one time in a, in a year, jumped up to like 167,000 immediately when this law was put in place. Because there's two parts that are particularly troublesome. One is, is that if you are an unaccompanied minor, an unaccompanied child, 
from Mexico or Canada, a, a country adjacent to us, then what the U.S. Is, does is it's able to return that child to its family and reunite them with their parents. But if the child comes from a country that's not contiguous to us, like any other nation in the world other than Mexico or Canada, then it's actually the child is turned over to HHS, Health and Human Services, and they try to find a sponsor inside the United States for that child. And so it's, it just causes people to trust their children with illegal uh, traffickers who then bring them into the United States. And what really occurs then is they come in the United States, they're, they're released to people who are, air quote, their sponsors, and then, mm-hmm. unfortunately, they're put into illegal work situations like the child that you're describing right now who is doing the roofing, or even worse, into sex and trafficking of other sorts. And, and oftentimes I think this goes um, underreported or or just uh, there's a lack of mention, uh, but they're lamentably, as we saw in, you know, in, with the revelations of Jeffrey Epstein and whatnot, there is an appetite for people that want, um, you know, young children for, for the sex trade. And uh, it, it's a shame that this is lamentably where we've reached with our immigration crisis. Not only is it a humanitarian crisis, but uh, it seems to be a, a major conduit for, for sex trafficking. In your view, how do we um, close that door? Well, the, the recommendation that it's now in, in, it came through HR2 is that we treat all of the unaccompanied children, uh, regardless of their national origin, as long as they're not you know, obviously involved in, in trafficking, to be able to return them to their home country and re- reunite them with their parents. If, if the parents know they're gonna, the kids are going to come back to them, they're not going to send them up unaccompanied. But currently, the U.S. law doesn't allow us to do that unless they're from Mexico or, or from Canada. So, so that's the one change in the law that would really help us be able to do that. The other is, is to make sure we know the immigration status of the air quote sponsor that these kids are being turned over to. Many times the sponsors are here illegally themselves. And, and then they take the children and then pass them on to those who would do uh, things like place them into uh, uh, unsafe work environments as well as into the sex trade. You know, it's, it's really a tragedy. And you asked me in our previous segment and in today, what can be done about it? What Numbers mm-hmm. USA does about this is we allow you and not allow you, we enable you as a voter in the United States to contact your representative be informed on the issues and be able to tell them to stop this and to be able to support the new laws that are being offered to be able to put an end to these types of critical and, and very ugly parts of our immigration scenario right now. James Massa, quickly before we run out of time, let everybody know the website to check out Numbers USA. Yeah, it's, it's numbersusa.com, numbersusa.com. And we'll put you in contact. We'll give you the information. You can learn about any of the different issues of which you're of, of concern. And we'll tell you who your representative is and how they've been voting over the last years throughout their time in, in as an elected official. James Massa, CEO of Numbers USA, thank you so much for being with us. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
All right, so if you're following me on Twitter, at Rich Valdez with an S, you'll see I, I retweeted a, a tweet, a video from Bill Malugin from Fox News, where there's a video of a soldier, it looks like a female with a ponytail, and uh, she opens up part of the fence down at, right by the river, uh, looks like the Rio Grande River, and allows people right into, um, into the interior of the United States. Uh, they were they questioned if this person was Texas Air National Guard or was a Texas National Guard soldier or Texas Department of Public Safety person. Texas said it was not that they uh, it was their understanding that she is a Title 10 soldier from the Missouri Air National Guard, Army National Guard, under orders from the federal government working with the Border Patrol. And uh, interesting to see what's going on there. Interesting video. Let's get to the phones quickly before we go. Jacob in San Jose, California, KVTA. Go right ahead. Yes, uh, Rich. Uh, in uh, ancient history, Rome had uh, an account where when they were under attack, this one uh, special, uh, I guess you would say, uh, our military commander had a daughter called Tarpia. Tarpia let the enemy soldiers in where they crushed her, killed her, and then oh my did their pillaging. So- Terrible, Jacob. Anyway, sorry to cut you off. We have to go because it's the end of the show, but we're starting hour number three right now. Open Phone America. Don't miss it. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S at the end. And uh, our telephone number, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337. This is the third hour of the program, also known as Open Phone America, a time-tested tradition here on this program since the days of Larry King back in 1978 and continued for the last 30 years by Jim Bohannon, the late, great Jim Bohannon, and uh, you are welcome to join us and use the legacy line or 833-4-VALDEZ for your voice to be heard and weigh in on just about anything, any topic goes. But we've talked about several things tonight. Some of uh, what we talked about uh, earlier this evening, of course, was uh, the immigration crisis and this proposed new bill, H.R. 2. We talked about the craziness in Seattle where the state is now sanctioning um Predators, sexual predators uh, to be on the streets, in particular near bus stops for little kids. And uh, we also talked about uh, how the United States is seemingly ceding its authority, its sovereignty to the World Health Organization when it comes to declaring pandemics. That if the World Health Organization says it's a pandemic, then we've got to follow suit on that. And we have a clip of audio on that that we'll play a little bit later. I also want to talk about some uh, interesting domestic stories that I find are interesting. Um, The state of Montana has officially banned TikTok. That's a thing that happened. 
And you've also got the stolen merchandise count at Target alone is expected to surpass a billion dollars this year. That's nuts. You also, according to the New York Post, have depression on the rise. And that brings to mind, there's a segment that I've teased in the past. And this new segment, it it has to do with being a play in many ways on, on Dear Abby, right? Dear Abby, the famous advice columnist. Of course, she was like, you know, some sort of authority on giving advice. Um, I'm not an authority on giving advice, but I'm going to pretend to be one on the radio. And we're going to call this segment, I'm going to take your votes on this. We're either going to call it Dear Richie or Ask Richie. And in that segment, you're going to get to call and really uh, not even just call, but you can email us. We're going to set up an email account for this where we can take your your scenario, whatever that scenario may be, and give it our most creative um, advice in, in response. And I'm really looking forward to that because, well, when else can we play harp music, right? With a little bit of ukulele built in, like you're hearing in the background. So we're going to do that. We'll, we're going to take your calls on that as well. If you want to start and start throwing some segments at me, uh, some ideas, some questions, try to stump me with uh, what you should do about your uncles, aunts, cousins, brothers, fathers, son who happened to do X, Y, and Z with you know who, then uh, give me a call. I'd love to hear those stories and uh, work that through with you. But I want to get into the Montana ban on TikTok. Now, the state of Montana has banned TikTok, coming the first state in the nation to ban the social media app owned by ByteDance, the Chinese company. Uh, the governor of Montana, Greg Gianforte, signed legislation banning TikTok on Wednesday, making the state the first in the nation to block access to the app uh, amid growing data privacy concerns. And I think they're rightful to have those concerns. The law, which is set to go into effect January 1st, bars TikTok from operating with Montana uh, within Montana, excuse me, and prohibits app stores such as Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store from making TikTok available to download within the state of Montana. So that's going on there. I'd love to get your thoughts on that as well. Plus, uh, we're going to get to your calls. Uh, let's go to Frank in Evergreen, Montana on KOFI. Frank, go right ahead. Hi there, uh, Rich. Uh, it's, uh... Yes, sir. Been a, been a while. Uh, I wanted to talk about that trip to Washington D.C. when I went to the Smithsonian to the Natural Museum of uh, Natural Science. Oh, you went uh, back in April, China. right? When the cherry blossoms were out. Yeah, and the uh, it was interesting. They were in the section on dinosaurs and mammals and prehistoric man. They were going on where was Joe Biden there before. Be, before the apes and everything, we uh, we all evolved out of the ocean and then uh, crawled out. And the whales uh, they they made it onto the surface. And but before that, back in the days of the dinosaurs, when there wasn't any oceans, um, where there was a hairy rodent in, in mainland China. It was a tree hugging rodent that could that climb. Is are you talking about Joe Biden now? It's, it's, he's the predecessor. Of, this rodent is the predecessor of all mammal life on this planet. We've all been worshiping in the wrong church, apparently. So, All right. Interesting. Uh, what, what is the name of this mammal? 
if it's not Joe oh Biden. Oh, gosh. Uh, I think it's uh, Daddy Rama or something. I don't know. It's, he kind of looks like one. Interesting. Now, what do you think of this um, this new segment we're proposing uh, here on America at Night, Frank, where people call and get advice on personal issues? Oh, I don't care about uh, Montana's policing of the of the Internet or anything. Or uh, I don't participate in the, any of those social programs like uh, Oh, you're talking about the TikTok, TikTok ban. Why not? Is it because you're like anti-smartphone or you just don't like the app? I don't really like apps. I don't like watching TV. It's just, it's, it's just, everything is porn anymore. Even Disney cartoons are porn to me. I just, it's, uh, uh, I just don't need it. Yeah. Uh, Things have, they've gotten carried away. Yeah. I like the three dimensionality of being, Unplugged. I, I used to work in front of a computer for about 25 years, uh, probably even longer than that. I, I, back in the days of Radio Shack and making your own computers and programming your own programs. Wow. And, and Radio just, Shack, I remember that. I, They're the inventor of the Tandy 2000. Good old Radio Shack. Yeah, I built an Apple computer, and my dad did too, and it was just a it was a fun time for a while, and then then it just kind of got to where you couldn't have all that fun anymore. It, it, the big corporations were deciding what you have to think, and uh, it's too much policing anymore. It, um, it, it wasn't an ex- it wasn't fun anymore. Period. You know, I just there's more life, there's fun in life than there is on the two dimensional screen. They decided who was having all the fun. Well, it's certainly us here, Frank. I appreciate the call, and uh, thank you for the uh, the lesson on this prehistoric mammal who may or may not be Joe Biden. Thank you, Frank. Big shout-out to everybody in Montana, KOFI, and uh, no more Twitter, excuse me, no more TikTok after January. More to come, your calls, and more straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And I want to um, give you a a little bit from that press conference uh, that we talked about, about the World Health Organization. But before we do that, I want to just give you a couple of clips on Elon Musk, right? He was on CNBC yesterday. He did an interview. And in one of the interviews, he basically says that he's not interested in um, or he's he's I guess he wishes that 
he'd be more interested in voting for a normal person. And he wishes that he that we would have a normal per, human being as president, uh, referring to Joe Biden, I guess, indicating that he uh, regrets his vote for Biden. And again, I think, man, for a guy as smart as he is, I don't know how he voted for Biden. But uh, he also uh, was talking about the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story, saying it is election interference. And uh, then the the host uh, asks him about why he would tweet about George Soros saying that, you know, this stuff leads people to think that these are uh, conspiracy theories, you know, and he ends up saying, well, you know, a lot of these conspiracy series end up uh, becoming true. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. Now, let me see which is several clips here. I know which one I want to get to. I think I want to do number 10. And yeah, let's start with number 10. Listen to this. You know, you do some tweets that seem to be or at least give support to some who would call others conspiracy theories. Well, yes, but I mean, honestly, you know, some of these conspiracy theories uh, have turned out to be true. Which ones? Well, like the, the Hunter Biden laptop. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that 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 was a pretty big deal. There was Twitter and 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 others engaged in active suppression of information that was relevant to the public. Um, that's that's a that's a terrible thing that happened. That's election right. interference. All right. So Elon Musk is there saying that this uh, the propaganda that we saw from the Democrats. Uh, he's not, I'm adding Democrats for emphasis, but. Um, the shutting out of the Hunter Biden laptop story, the censorship that this was election interference while they tried to label him as a conspiracy theorist. He hits him back with the facts and the truth. Um, why on earth he voted for Biden again? I, I just for the life of me, I can't figure that out. Uh, maybe that's one of the topics we can have uh, if we can ever get Elon Musk on. Uh, maybe he can uh, contact us about, you know, we can help him figure out why you know, let's put him on the leather couch and say, all right, Elon, let's talk about why you voted for Joe and to find out what really was going on um, between his ears when he made that choice. But I want to uh, go to the phones, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ, and um, let us go to Pat in Sedona, Arizona, listening on, I don't know that station, uh, but online, uh, Rich Valdez, America at night.com. Pat, uh, I understand you wanted to share, uh, as part of the first installment of our new segment, uh, dear Richie, go right ahead. Dear Richie, I have this conspiracy theory that my wife wants to bring our new puppy to bed. You know, it's like most couples who have a new baby. Do you bring your baby to bed to go to sleep or do you not? And I have the theory that my wife is trying to replace me with my dog. Because she always <laughs> says, I bark too much. The dog doesn't bark at all. Meaning, I complain too much. That war- The room is too warm. The room is too cold. I- she takes too many covers. So my conspiracy theory is, is my wife trying to replace me with our new puppy? Oh, this is fascinating, Pat. Well, thank you for the call. Listen to this. So I think... That, you know, this is interesting, right? I can tell you that I don't think she's trying to replace you. I do think that some people become very partial to their dogs. And dogs and children, to me, are different. 
because I think children are a little bit cleaner. A little bit. I'm sure people would argue with that. But I think dogs just really need their own doggy bed at the foot of the bed for many reasons. One, because they have to understand they're dogs and they're not people. Number two is because I think a dog um, is uh, a little bit more on his game or her game when they are at the foot of the bed feeling like you're a protector. Um, now, I don't think she's trying to get rid of you, but she probably feels like, you know, the dog is a little more squishy and cuddly because he's probably a little lap dog. Now, if you've got a Great Dane in your bed, then you need a really big bed because those are some big dogs. But I'll tell you my philosophy on children. Now, with children, this was an age-old battle in my house, too. When we, uh, our first daughter, she would, you know, at some point in the night, she'd be like, I don't want to sleep alone, and she'd want to come. And I thought she was cute and cuddly, and we had a California king bed. So I'd be like, yeah, whatever, you can get in, in the middle. And she would sleep sideways. So in terms of the way our bodies were structured, we'd look like the letter H with me on one side, our daughter laying sideways, you know, at a year or two years old, and uh, and then my wife on the other side, my, my then wife. I'm divorced now. But um, interesting, I used to tell her, what do you think? This kid's going to be 15 and wanting to come sleep in our bed? Of course not. She's going to be looking for the closest window to sneak out and go hang out with her friends. And and that ended up being true, not the sneaking out part, the fact that she didn't want to sleep in her bed anymore. But a lot of that had to do with my, my ex-wife, who at the time said, you know what, what we're going to do here is uh, we're going to, when, when we found out we were expecting with our second daughter, we kind of began to prime her and get her ready. And we told her, hey, look, you know what? Uh, you're going to be a big sister. And as a big sister, you've got to sleep all night in your big girl bed. And because you're going to have to teach your little sister how to sleep in her crib. And that became a thing and it was effective. And she's been a great big sister ever since. Now, back to the dog, I would tell you, I would put my foot down and say, listen, listen here, woman, lovely bride of mine. I am not sharing the dog with the the bed with the dog. And I, I would make that abundantly clear. And the reason why Kids want to be there, and, and they can be territorial, but eventually they know you guys were there first. But the dog will eventually be partial to one of you, and the other is going to be ostracized. And so you may not, your wife, your wife may not want to replace you, Pat, but that may in fact be what the dog wants, to be the object of all affection. You know, hey, pet me, pet me, pet me. And there goes that that back rub. There goes that anything, that pillow talk, any of that stuff that you might have expected goes out the window when there's a cute little dog, you know, uh, dominating the spouse's attention. So I say we veto the dog, get a doggy bed for the foot of your, uh, of your bed. Pat. Amen, brother. I believe you are telling the truth because I'll tell you what, the dog uses me as a chew toy in the middle of the night. <laughs> And that's your first red flag. Yeah, that is a red flag. He's a cute, he's a little cavalier, King King Charles Cavalier. So he's tiny, he's like 10 pounds. But yeah, those, those little guys, right. they forget they're little. Yeah, he he's 15, he's 10 pounds of dynamite. Uh, I mean, that dog. But thank you. My my wife is listening to me, and she's rolling her eyes. I mean, can't believe I just said this on that. <laughs> she, she can't stand uh, me now. <laughs> Sorry, Pat's wife. We love you. All right, Pat, thank you for the call, my brother. I appreciate it. Uh, we're going to get to your calls and more. And uh, your Dear Richie uh, 
stories are welcome all night long. We'll be doing this uh, maybe once a week. I'm enjoying it. And I like the harp music. We might change up the harp music, but I'm enjoying it for now. So we're going to do that as well. Plus, I want to get into these other stories that I've got. I got an interesting story here. Uh, let me see. Where did it go? Let's see. Live radio. Bear with me, folks. Listen to this one. Chinese comedy troupe. They were fined $2 million because they made a joke about the People's Liberation Army, the Chinese military. They made a crack on, on them, and guess what? They were fined $2 bucks by the CCP. No bueno, my friends. We're going to get to that one as well later on. Plus, the uh, the censorship over the healthcare stuff uh, that we talked about in hour number one. I just want to reiterate that as well. So don't go anywhere. It's Open Phone America with me, Rich Valdez. 833-4-VALDEZ. Your calls and more coming up right now. These uh, Chinese comedians, the whole troupe, uh, tiny, uh, China, excuse me, Chinese comedy troupe. Uh, I can't stand this thing. One pop up ad after the other. The um, the joke, this this two million dollar fine. It, the penalty is over a joke that the military invoked a slogan from President Xi Jinping, and it likened the behavior of one of the comedians' dogs to military conduct. And it's really got the authorities mad. They said that Shanghai Shanghuo Culture Media Company and comic Li Haoxi had humiliated the People's Army. The uh, comedy troupe accepted the penalty and terminated Mr. Li's contract. You got to love the free speech in China, huh? The offending remark was made during a stand-up performance in Beijing. So look at that. You're getting fined $2 million for the jokes that you make in China if they offend the military. Um, real. It was uh, made in a stand-up show in Beijing, blah, 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 where Mr. Lee alluded to two canines he had adopted, which were chasing a squirrel. Other dogs you would see make you think they're adorable. These two dogs only reminded me of fight to win, forge exemplary conduct, said Mr. Lee, whose stage name is House. The punchline is part of the slogan that President Xi unveiled in 2013 as a goal for the Chinese military fight to win and forge exemplary conduct. So they took it personal. And uh, just imagine that, right? Imagine, you know, you make an off-color joke or about whatever, about dogs or whatever. And, you know, ultimately you end with a punchline saying, be all that you can be. You know, that's the army one. And uh, getting fined by the United States government for making a joke about, you know, using, sharing a punchline. Uh, with a slogan from the U.S. Army. I, I just think it's just crazy. Um, I, I I know I shouldn't be surprised at this, but I'm surprised at it nonetheless. Anyway, uh, I want to get into a couple other stories, but first we're going to get to your calls because there's a lot to discuss. Let's go to Travis calling from Fargo, North Dakota. Uh, 
talking about TikTok and free speech. Travis, go right ahead. Well, uh, thank you for taking the call. Um, yeah, sure. you were mentioning uh, Montana banning the uh, TikTok, and um, I guess I'm just a, a border state here, right next to Montana, and uh, pretty conservative fellow myself. Um, you know, I guess um, looking at the whole situation, I I don't know your thoughts, but um, I'm thinking, you know, uh, if we start banning TikTok, um, Maybe that's not such a good thing. It might lead to um, left or right banning other things they just don't see um, being good for good for Americans, whoever they deem that be. And uh, I guess my, my my thing here is just let why don't we let why don't we let people think for themselves? Um, and maybe there's some Chinese propaganda going on in their uh, data harvesting. Um, if that is the fact, I think it is okay to maybe ban that. But um, in general, I think it's let's let's just let things be um, what they are and let people think for themselves. Uh, as far as a Republican goes, I think that's the way we need to go. Yeah. So you know, Travis, look, I agree with you on everything minus a handful of our enemies. So if you know, if there were an Iranian company, a a Chinese company, a Russian company that that owned a social media app that was taking the nation by storm um i would i would be inclined to say you know what we don't want foreign actors influencing mass communications in the united states um that would be my rule um but i i totally understand where you're coming from and and i'm tempted and i'm tempted to to almost agree with you uh the the issue that i have with that is this isn't so much about letting people make up their mind about what they want to listen to or not listen to. This is about this being so prevalent uh, amongst children. Uh, and that's the part that's scary because it lives in everybody's phone. And you've got these children that, I mean, from stories I've heard, and this is all hearsay, so I can't, you know, corroborate a ton of this, but I understand that there's the ability to violate their terms of service at will. And, and some of this was asked by members of Congress when the CEO of TikTok was um, giving his testimony before Congress. You know, things like, you know, if you're, it, do you turn off the, you have access to the microphone for certain features of the app, are you turning it on to, to listen at any other times? Are you housing any data on servers that are in China versus servers that are supposed to be in the United States, which they've been caught violating. So that would be my reasoning is that TikTok is already that they've had certain rules and they've gone beyond the rules that they were allowed to have. So I think it just poses a unique threat, uh, in my opinion, that is way beyond, you know, dancing challenges and, you know, cat videos and the like. If it were anything else, I'd say, yeah, sure. Uh, I think when it comes to our foreign enemies, adversaries, um, competitors, whatever you want to call them. I think they're best called people that hate us and hope that we're all gone because that's really what I believe they are. I think when it comes to them, we really probably had have, had better uh, take a, uh, a stronger approach and, and not just a uh, live and let live approach and, you know, to each its own approach because ultimately the government has a responsibility to protect the citizenry. And, 
if this were an American company, then I'd say, you know, listen, let them do what they got to do, um, which is why you don't hear me calling for the ban of anything else. And I'm not necessarily calling for the ban of TikTok. I'm just not necessarily opposed to it. And in particular, because of China. Those are my two cents. But thank you for the call uh, from Fargo, North Dakota. Big shout out to everybody in WDAY country. Uh, let us continue. Sarah is in Bedford, Indiana on WBIW. Sarah, go right ahead. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's my last week of night shift, so I'm going to be taking a couple month hiatus from your show. But um, anyway, I wanted to say We're gonna miss you. Elon. Yeah, I'm going to miss you guys, but I'll be back on night shift when school gets back. So anyway, uh, real quick about Elon Musk. This is my theory, and it may be wrong, but my theory is that maybe Musk votes for an idiot like uh, Biden because he is uh, maybe holds some liberal positions, say, I don't know, on the economy or something. And so he still supports Biden, um, even though, like the old classic liberal who believed in the First Amendment, um, that's gotten him in hot water with today's liberals. So he is uh, he's probably overall liberal in a lot of other areas, like a classic liberal would be, but he's also a First Amendment advocate, which, like I say, has put him on the outs with the new left. But that's just my theory. And uh, those Chinese comedians, they need to come over here because you can put the American flag in a toilet and probably get uh, millions of dollars from the uh, National Endowment for the Arts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a shame, too. And I think you're probably right. Uh, and I think that's probably true of most Americans. There are a lot of people that have beliefs that are all over the political spectrum. And I think that's why people love um, the the spoilers, people that will come out and say something like, you know, the problem with America is the two-party system. I don't care about Democrats. I don't care about Republicans. I just care about people that make sense. You know, there's a lot of people that, that like that rhetoric. They uh, they enjoy that type of thing. And and because it feels safe, it feels very comfortable, it feels very middle of the road. It feels like you're somehow superior to everyone else. Like, hey, you mindless numbskull, you think and breathe and do everything Trump tells you to do. Or the other one, you know, bird brain following Biden. You know, I'm the only real independent thinker here that, you know, will vote for one in one election cycle and vote for the other in the other. And I'm better than you. And, you know, I'm, I guess I am ridiculing them a little bit. I just think it's not very well thought out. But again, that's me and I'm I'm me. But that's where we are. And I think um, Elon Musk is, is probably in that category. And I'd say right now he's probably, you know, wishing he voted for Trump, both uh, for the economic reasons, for the, the fact that he, he wouldn't be under attack when he saw everything that was going on with the uh, Obama administration and and their involvement in Twitter. Oh, boy. Right. He felt so compelled by it that. He got Matt Taibbi and all these other journalists to, to write all these stories about it because the Twitter files had to be you know, released and they had to expose all of the craziness that was happening at Twitter. So, Sarah, thanks for tuning in for all these months. Hopefully you'll have a good hiatus and uh, we look forward to having you back soon when you come back. Big shout out to you in Bedford, Indiana on WBIW. And we're going to get to the rest of your calls straight ahead. We've got calls from North Carolina, New York City, Topeka, Kansas, and more coming in. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. 
biggest head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. All right, let's go to George in Topeka, Kansas on KMAJ. Go right ahead, George. Hey, thanks for taking my call, sir. Yes, sir. Um, so I am a libertarian, and I kind of get, you know, um, people roll their eyes a little bit, you know, at me. And then, you know, I it's, it's a tough position because you can't hardly vote libertarian. So libertarian, so you're not really a libertarian. Um so I, I typically lean Republican. I'm curious as far as we had kind of talked about vice presidential nom- nominees and got cut off. Um, what would your thoughts be on a guy like Rand Paul to get the libertarian vote? Or do you think that vote is already going to swing Republican yeah, it's an interesting question. I, I don't know uh, is the answer. I like Rand Paul, and, and I'm very libertarian myself, uh, to, to, be, to be very frank. But I realize that there are, you know, there's a certain social issues where I don't say, ah, let them figure it out. You know, um, there are social issues that, um, that matter to me. And I think there's, there, I don't know that we'll ever get to a place in, in the United States, at least in my lifetime, I don't think that'll happen, where the Libertarian Party overtakes the Republican Party, where people are like, you know, what? I don't care about the economy. I don't care about national security. I don't care. I just care about, you know, just get out of my way. Um, it's appealing, but I just don't think we get there, at least in my lifetime. So um, in terms of... Um, you know, who, who the pick would be. I don't think Rand Paul wants to be president. Uh, I don't think he wants to be vice president. Um, so I, I've got to think that it's got to be somebody that's running for president that is angling for a VP slot. Um, there's only a handful of people in the race. So I would say right now from that handful, you got Nikki Haley, you've got Vivek Ramaswamy. I don't know um, that, you know, I think they're both very capable and, and would make excellent vice presidents. Uh, I don't know that they at this point have everything that they need to become president, but they would probably, you know, right at this point in the snapshot we have. I also think, you know, I don't know why, but I've always felt like a a good senator, a good um, experienced senator, the way he picked an experienced congressman and governor and Mike Pence. um, I think, um, you know, Ron Johnson uh, is is somebody um, that, that could, um, could be uh, uh, appealing to, to many. And um, yeah, there, there's people out there. I think there's others uh, that that might be. And I, don't, I don't think he's angling for that. I just think he might be someone that works out well with uh, with President Trump on the Republican side. So that that's my thought there. But I don't know that we'd get much uh, beyond that. Anyway, thank you, George and Topeka. I appreciate it. Big shout out to KMAJ. Let us continue our conversation. Matt, he's near Moorhead City, North Carolina, WTKF. Matt, go right ahead. Yes, sir, Rich. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you. Okay, good. I've been saying for over two years that uh, Joe Biden needs to be impeached. I know how difficult it was. It was explained to me in detail. But any one of your listeners that wants to save this country, I believe— should vote for Trump. All right. Why is What's that? Your opinion. 
Because well, what's your rationale? Policies. Yeah, it's good policies. I don't care about personality. Do you? Yeah, well, I do. I do care about personality, and I happen to like Trump's personality. I think he's very entertaining, and he's very to the point, and he's able to deliver um, uh, messages in a very concise way, contrary to what the media will tell you. I think um, his use of terms like fake news, your fake news, I think that was brilliant and changed the actual landscape where the media was no longer seen as this authority anymore. Uh, so I think that was brilliant on his behalf. I think... Um, he, he he's uh, he's a marketing mastermind and uh, he's able to to condense things into bite-sized morsels that make it easy to consume and i think that's that's a a gift in in politics so i think personality plays a big part uh, but yes in addition to that he delivered on policy i think he also delivered with the results right promises made promises kept so i think uh i think trump is is a is an outstanding option uh, for president, and he's definitely the front runner. And um, I, I would tend to agree with you that I, I think he's uh, at this point he's definitely the best person. I don't see anybody else getting into the race that would really um, blow him away in any way. Uh, I don't see that to be the case. And again, as long as Joe Biden is the the guy that we're running against, oh my gosh, you know, or even better, maybe Kamala Harris, or like I like to call her, Kamala Harris. I mean, this would be a gift from uh, from the gods up above. But thank you, Matt. I got to go because they're in my ear telling me we've got to take a pause right here. Big shout out to everybody in Moorhead City, North Carolina, and all our peeps on WTKF. Coming right back to your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, that's our signature Dear Richie music. Let's go to Linda in Albany, New York, WGDJ. Linda, go. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I was thinking about if one finds oneself in a situation with someone who speaks no English, are there perhaps like international hand signals that people could um, use to... uh, communicate at all it's an interesting question i the only international hand signal i know i learned as a young kid in new york city and it consists of the the middle finger on on either hand but what i can tell you with respect to that is i know there's a lot of things like thumbs up thumbs down things like that are very universal but they're not some countries those are used as, uh, as different things what i've seen as of late that seems to work if you have to communicate with somebody and they're visiting from bali or something like that um or any country where English is not uh, the principal language, uh, there is the Google Translate app, and they can talk into your phone, or you could talk into your phone and translate it right to another language. And there's other apps that do that as well. But I think that's probably the best way to do it, and you can pretty much translate and understand what the other person is saying. And this seems to be what a lot of young people are doing that are traveling and ending up in different parts of the world and not knowing what's going on. And they just use these apps and these uh, translation um, tools to uh, kind of fend for themselves. So that's my best advice on that one. Uh, But Linda, thank you for the call. Always a pleasure to hear from you. Big shout out to everybody 
on WGDJ in Albany. Let's go to Jeanette, New York City, listening on WFAS. Go right ahead. Hey, Rick. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Hey, um... Uh, we lost Jeanette. But anyway, her comment had to do with putting uh, illegal migrants that are now making their way to New York City in school gyms to be housed because they're running out of space in the hotels where they've kicked out veterans and married people uh, or wedding parties, I should say. So fascinating to see what's happening in New York. And I agree. Parents don't like it. And they're saying, look, we understand you've got a problem, but you can't stay here. We got kids in this school and this ain't for you. So glad to see people rising up. Until the next time, hasta la próxima. Take care, good night, and God bless. We'll be back doing this again tomorrow. Until then, make sure you stay tuned to this station. There's an amazing lineup of programming, and I don't want you to miss it. I'm Rich Valdez. We'll do it again tomorrow. Every story eventually comes to an end. This June, hear the final episode of Season 2 of the hit podcast series, In the Red Clay, Durham. In the Red Clay tells the unbelievable true story of Billy Sunday Burt, the most dangerous man in Georgia history. In the podcast that people are calling riveting, incredibly moving, captivating, and addicting. Binge seasons one and two of In the Red Clay now, wherever you listen.